you can be in a church for quite a few years, even even a couple of decades as a plateau, but it's not going to move out of plateau until there's a change. And building momentum is what we're going to talk about this series to help us not only when we're plateaued, but also what do we do if we are in decline? And interestingly, we can't just assume if we are increasing that we should just think that's always going to happen. We have to keep reinventing ourselves before the plateau to keep uh, growth going. Welcome back, everyone, to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is excellent to have you along with us, as always, and it's excellent to have a couple of people along with me here in the Third Space studio. Stu Crawshaw, regular co-host, how are you? Hello, Joel. Good to see you. Feeling well? Feeling very well, thank excellent. you. Excellent. And uh, we are joined by your son, Ethan, youth pastor at Sorrel Bible Church. How are you, Ethan? I'm doing well. Hi, guys. It's good to be here. Thank you for joining. <laughs> You're very fired up. <laughs> yeah, great. I'm pumped. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do this. Excellent. Uh, we are starting a new series, a new season in Shock Absorber called uh, Momentum in Ministry, guys. So really what we're looking at is what to do when your ministry has, or a ministry you're involved if it becomes plateaued, bridges a point where it's maybe a little bit uh, not going the way you want it to, or maybe going backwards, and how we can build momentum out of that. Um, Stu, you are very much the idea generation generator for the Shock Absorber, which is excellent. I always value your, your ability to do that. But before we get into all those kind of things, though, you have a cultural artifact for us, as usual. What is yeah, it? well, I'm really looking forward to this season because I think uh, that it's a really important question to ask ourselves, uh, those of us that are in Christian ministry, how do we continue to build momentum in, in doing everything um, we do? We do it under God, and we know that um, Jesus is building his church, so we take great comfort in that. But he's also... Uh, engaged us to partner with him as he grows his church and it's a really good thing for us to pause and stop uh, and think about how we're um, expressing the reality that we are the family of God that we're the church that Christ is building and how we expressing our partnership with Christ as he builds his church so I thought uh, that it would be uh, a good idea to look at building momentum in church there's been a lot of um, media coverage in Australia about the latest census that's come out. Um, we might even dive into some of those details a little later in this episode. But um, there's been much made of the fact that less and less Australians are actually self-identifying as Christian in the census. Uh, there were campaigns about if you don't go to church, put no religion in the census. There seems to be a lot of vi- uh, vibrancy around that. Um our Archbishop Kanishka has come out recently and said, you know, this isn't a popularity contest. It's about us um, being faithfully following Jesus in our day. And it's not about how many people tick a box. It's actually uh, different. So we thought we might look into some of these uh, questions that are going on uh, in our culture at the moment and ask, our, uh, ask ourselves a question. If we are in a local ministry and we're thinking about momentum, what are some of the things to think about? Um, and before we dive into looking at that, uh, as you said, we've got a cultural artefact today that I thought was relevant. And this cultural artefact is sort of encouraging in a way because building momentum in ministry is not a new concept. There's every generation needs to think this through, really. And so what I've chosen for the cult- cultural artefact today is to illustrate that um, Christianity can actually... Uh, seem like it's plateauing in in local ministries. Um, 
throughout history at certain times. And to illustrate that, I've got a book called The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which mm. was written by Mark Twain in the 19th century. And he has this book about uh, this uh, young guy, Huck, who goes on all these different adventures and meets these different people. And in chapter 18 of the book, uh, if you would be interested in inquiring into the, <laughs> where this uh, quote comes from, um, Huck is commenting about an empty church that most people only go there when they have to. And here the author Mark Twain actually pokes fun at what he thinks is the hypocrisy of religious people that they don't really want to go to church, they only go if they have to. Now obviously we wouldn't align ourselves with that but this quote sort of is a description of a church that is uh, probably in decline actually in this particular town, wherever it is, in America. Anyway, here's the quote. Uh, in in uh, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Mark Twain writes this, there, there, and I'll try and use the American accent that it's supposed to oh, be said in, so we'll see how we go. Uh, there weren't anybody at the church except maybe a hog or two, for there weren't any lock on the door and the hogs like a punch and floor. I don't know what a punch and floor is, but anyway. And hogs like a punch and floor in summertime because it's cool. If you notice, most of the folks don't go to church only when they've got to, but a hog is different. <laughs> so, so there's this idea that there's a church in a town and the door isn't locked and people don't go there very often, only when they have to, but, but the pigs in the town like the coolness of the shade, so they go in there. So that, that to me, I think is a pretty, pretty stark example of, of a, uh, a local ministry that, may have plateaued <laughs> so that's why i thought i'd, I'd bring that one up this morning this right, morning in the podcast. I, I was just looking up a punch and floor it's a type of actual floorboard or flooring yeah so right. that that's obviously used in the church so that's yeah, probably right. what makes yep. sense so <laughs> so there's nobody in the church with huckleberry finn why did you think that this was a good um topic to look into because i think also quite timely as well because of um, COVID and how mm, that's affected churches so, yeah. across the board. Um, but yeah, was that just COVID or is there other reasons why you thought it was oh, all look, I think that's another relevant issue coming out of COVID. Uh, most of the people I talk to in ministry are saying that people are still probably less regular than they used to be. Uh, people, are, when they're sick, they obviously stay home. And as a result, um, it can feel like it's difficult to get momentum coming out of COVID. Mm. I think that's a really good reason for doing this as well, yeah. And I looked up those statistics that you were talking about from the census. Um, the One of the most um, uh, important ones that came out of it was that uh, people that said they were almost, they were reported no religion, they were at 40% now um, for the latest census, 2021. That was an increase from, it was at 30% in the 2016 census and 22% in the 2011 census. Um, Ethan, I was just wondering what... Is that? Do you think those statistics reflect what you've experienced in your ministry? Whether it's um, uh, you know, kind of a youth group, or you, you do um, also do scripture in schools and things like that, and chip lunch, is that your experience? Does that reflect the statistics that we're talking about? Could you could you say the numbers one more time? Forty percent is now reporting it's no religion, mm -hmm. and it was thirty percent back in two thousand sixteen, and twenty two percent in two thousand eleven. Oh, I I do a lot of work uh, in the local high school uh, that I'm. Um, that we're near at Zora Rival and uh, I'd see even lower numbers than that right. uh, in teenagers. And, um, and yes, there's, there's a whole bunch of Christians, um, but it's interesting to see how many 
Uh, even even those that are involved in scripture, for example, um, are potentially a little closer to that Huckleberry Finn um, quote, which is the um, they're just there because they have to be there. Mm. Um, there's even there's even that as well. So uh, the numbers of of committed hardcore Christians that are super keen for for the gospel, um, I personally think is is lower than. Um, that those numbers are saying. Do you think it's still got some way to go? I think so, yeah. Mm. yeah. Is that, and do we see that as a, a plateau in ministry? It's kind of what the term that we're using. Is that a plateau in ministry or it's just the, a reflection of what society is at the moment? Yeah, there's a few different views on it. Um, some people are arguing that that it's been culturally... Uh, there's a change in the culture mm. in that uh, it was... The culturally done thing to go to church you know back in the day back in the time of christendom and even back in the 60s where there was something like 80 percent of australians registered in the census as being christian uh, but there are some who say was there ever 80 percent of people who actually were christian mm. or were they just saying they were cultural christians that they were nominal so there are some people who don't find the statistical decline of Christianity concerning because it's just reflecting what Ethan was saying that it's probably more realistic to say that you know the actual people who go to church and the people who are living out a Christian life and have a, a personal faith in Jesus um, is, is a smaller number than what's recorded on the census so in some ways I, the, my reflection on it is I, I, I don't see it as a uh, a decline. I just see it as a reality that the census is catching up with actually what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I remember a time back in the 80s when it was actually really difficult to evangelise people still in the 80s because I'd talk about Jesus and people would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I'd say, well, why are you a Christian? Well, I'm Australian, so I'm a Christian. And mm-hmm. then I would try and say, oh, but being an Australian doesn't make you a, Christ- a Christian just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. So <laughs> I, w- I would talk about that as a bit of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people would still say, oh, no, I'm a Christian. But now what's actually not – it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. If people say, I'm not a Christian, I'm not religious, I think we can actually present the gospel to people and say, well, if you're not a Christian, maybe have a think about this. Mm. Uh, but people just weren't interested in thinking about having a personal faith in Jesus because they thought they were a Christian because they were an Aussie. So I think that, for me, is going to actually create an opportunity in evangelism for us, I think. Mm. And also, I think what you're saying is perhaps we're talking about the statistics uh, reflecting what is actually the case in society. It still says that Christianity is still the most common religion in Australia at 40%. Yeah. But then it's more the people that are saying they have no religion is actually increasing. Mm. So um, that, in my mind, from what you guys are saying, that reflects kind of actually what's happening. My next question, I suppose, is what does ministry plateauing look like and ha- like yeah. how do you know it's happening yeah that's that's a good question um so we're going to talk about a couple of uh authors and people today that have identified this as a potential issue for local ministries and the first person person i want to refer to is someone we've talked about on the podcast before his name's mark center the third and some of our long-term listeners will remember that Mark Sender III wrote a book in the early 90s called The Coming Revolution of Youth Ministry. And that was a really seminal work because what he did very successfully in that book is look at how ministries can go through cycles um, of growth and then plateau and then decline. 
and he focuses in on youth ministry because that's his particular interest but i think the same could be true for other ministries in the church as well but what he does is he has a historical exploration of cycles of youth ministry and he goes all the way back to the 1800s and he looks at how youth ministry began in the first place and there was a bit of a crisis during the industrial revolution because uh, before the invention of steam and, and factories that popped up in large cities all over England, which is where the Industrial Revolution started, 70% of people lived in villages. Now, in those villages, um, there were parish churches. And in those parish churches, those churches were kind of the, the central point of people's lives. So there was uh, a rhythm to, to life that actually meant that pretty much everyone in the village went to church. But then when the Industrial Revolution happened, steam engines replaced people on the farm so tractors replaced horses and plows with people working in the fields and the and the work dried up in the villages and so all these people migrated to the cities where there was work in these new factories and all these slums popped up in Manchester and Sheffield in Birmingham in London and uh, caused a great deal of civil unrest and so Charles Dickens writes about it um, when he writes about the time where um, oh what's the name of his book Charles Dickens book on uh, Oliver. No, it's called Oliver, Oliver isn't it? Yeah, Oliver it's Twist. Yeah, Oliver, Oliver yeah. Twist. So Oliver Twist is uh, a young orphan who's been one of the victims of the Industrial Revolution, really. So in the migration to the cities, a lot of kids don't actually get um, to, you know, they have to actually fend for themselves on the streets in orphanages and horrible situation. And also, they're actually, there's a whole generation growing up without God. Mm. And so the church has a problem that the parishes in the villages are in decline and they're unable to build momentum. But in the cities, there's not enough churches and those churches in the cities aren't able to build momentum because of this this great influx of people from the villages. And so uh, it was actually a grassroots idea by a guy called Robert Rakes who came up with the idea of a Sunday school. And what he saw was he observed all these young people on the streets without any education and particularly no understanding of God growing up without the gospel and he invites those kids into his lounge room and teaches them how to read and write using the Bible on a Sunday morning hence the Sunday school was born. Now that was really successful in the town where he lived in Gloucestershire and so a group of people gathered around him and formed a team and started to write a Sunday school newspaper and that newspaper spread the idea of the Sunday school which was a new grassroots idea across the whole world and within um, just a, a few decades it was the biggest youth movement in the world it had come all the way down to Australia the first Sunday school started in Parramatta uh, in the Anglican Church of Parramatta where the the uh, rector of Parramatta uh, his two daughters started a Sunday school in, in uh, the early 1900s, uh, sorry, the early 1800s. And it, um, it was a very exciting, vibrant ministry. It had Aboriginal children and, and British children in the same Sunday school. And one of his daughters actually married an Aboriginal man. So that was a terrific story of, of a ministry that had spread all over the world. It had gone over to America too. Uh, but the interesting thing about it was as... Mark Center looks at the spread of the Sunday school. He notices that when an, an idea is spread out through something like a newspaper, it, the, the, the original organic ministry can lose its passion. Mm. So the originator has a very clear vision of what he's doing. He's helping these young people to, to read the Bible and meet Jesus. But as the 
the Sunday schools start up around the world, there are lots of great Sunday schools that are still doing that, but it can become what he calls institutionalised. So that what people are doing is just taking the principles of the Sunday school. Oh, do teach young people the Bible on Sunday mornings. And Huckleberry Finn is actually an example of uh, how the institutionalised reality can actually not be as good as the original because also in in the book adventures of huckleberry finn um huck goes to a sunday school and all he gets is morals so this old lady who runs a sunday school is just trying to trying to teach him to be a good person she's not teaching him the gospel so what's happened there is there's a disconnect with the original idea in the institutionalized form and that's when it starts to plateau so when when something grows through being systematized it can become an institutionalised reality and it can lose its vibrancy and its health, I suppose. And and more than just that, being an example. So Mark Center says, one of the earliest sociologists, Max Weber, actually says that there's there's a observable um, common trajectory of all new ideas that start as grassroots ideas, get systematised through a bureaucracy and institutionalise into an institution. And when they do, they plateau. And his argument is, while an institution might have come up with a good idea at a particular point of time, because culture is constantly changing in the Industrial Revolution, there's always new technologies and new technologies bring along new ideas and new ways of living. The institutional form of an idea that responded to the last change doesn't work in the new world. So centre applies Max Weber and says within 50 years of the Sunday school working it was no longer cutting edge anymore. Mm. But rather than um, it reinventing itself, it just plateaued and remained a ministry for the next 200 years. But it wasn't really the cutting edge that it was back in the early 1800s. But he says 50 years later it was replaced by the YMCA. And the YMCA came up with a new idea in a new era. Then not to um, go into too much detail, our listeners and viewers can read the book if they're interested, Coming Revolution of Youth Ministry. But he says that Sunday School was replaced by the YMCA. That was replaced by a, a movement called Christian Endeavour, which was replaced by a movement called Youth for Christ. And then by the time of writing in the 90s, he was saying we're, we're ready for a new new idea to come along. So the lesson I learned from that is that we will institutionalise our ministries, we'll take an, a grassroots idea and then we'll try and work out what the principles are so we can spread it. But then as we do that, it becomes kind of unable to change and inflexible. So there needs to be a new thing that happens in, rather than just make that plateaued idea work again. Sometimes you need to jump into a new idea that reinvents the ministry and takes it into a into a new, more vibrant future. So if we think about the, the church being an institution, uh, it's, uh, what you're trying to say is that we need to keep the institutional ideas that are important to us, obviously the, like seeing on the values, staying on the values of the Bible and things yes, like that, yes. but we need to be able to allow fresh ideas to come into the church in a way that doesn't water down the gospel or anything like that. Yeah, well, that's right. And so at that point we can mention the shock absorber. The shock absorber yeah. idea is that a shock absorber needs to be flexible and strong. And the flexibility of a shock absorber comes from young people who are on the cutting edge of cultural change and they can see what's coming next. And if they work together with older people, older adult Christians are 
the strength of the shock absorber because they have the biblical knowledge and the life experience of being a Christian. And together, young and old people can talk about not losing the gospel as this change, but how do we express our faith maybe in new ways as we move forward. Mm. So I think I think if we yeah, we, we have a look at maybe some examples of institutionalization, I think guys that might be a helpful thing to do. Yeah, do you have, have you got Germany any thoughts? Ethan? <laughs> to start we'll, we'll throw it on to you. Um off the top of my head, examples of institution. Um well, within within the church or just I was gonna say you can like what you guys who did COVID, for example, okay, it's in terms of youth ministry, like yep. we had an institutionalized way of doing church was, and then we couldn't do that, mm-hmm. and so we had to come up with fresh ideas to be able to do that. So what about what about that? That's probably yeah. I think um, youth ministry is a really cool example of how we reacted in that. Um, so we were doing it with the whole church. We 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 shifted some stuff up. And, oh, just before um, you move on to that, what was the tr- the the way you were doing youth ministry before COVID mm. broke out? Yes. Okay. So um, before COVID broke out, uh, we were meeting here at the factory uh, every um, Friday night. Um, we'd be we'd do a church service called the gathering beforehand, um, for, which is an all age all stage service, followed by commitments, uh, followed by a youth group, which would just be uh, years seven to uh, ten, uh, hanging out, playing playing games and. Um, and talking about Jesus and um, and just just hanging out and eating food and um, it was all it was all excellent um, but it is something that has been how we've been doing youth ministry for a long time mm. um, and suddenly COVID comes along and throws a spanner in that works um, and the first time that happened we just moved over to Zoom and we tried to do the same thing on Zoom and it didn't work. Um, why, like why? it worked, but it was, it was in this, we, we talk about, we talk about a lack of momentum <laughs> and I think a really good example of a lack of momentum is getting to, getting to, um, youth online and trying to stay afloat every week mm. and just, we're just treading water and we're just making it happen. Um, the second lockdown was a really different shift, uh, because we came back out of, of it before we, we came out of lockdown, we had like a term or two um, of in-person youth, which was really fun and really energizing. And then suddenly we're back in lockdown again. And this time the youth team sat around and went, okay, how can we do this? How can we do this and want to do it well? Um, and we decided to use uh, a software that all the kids are using. Uh, we use Discord instead of Zoom to make it less like school. Uh, we made it more of a live stream event kind of thing because that's what you do when you sit on a sit on a screen at home you don't necessarily um sit in a big group chat uh you instead actually get a moment to talk to each other to watch something and then talk to each other in amongst that um we used a whole bunch of these principles from uh what the young people what what young people do online Mm. um and and then use that and we were also um meeting regularly i think that was a really good we were we were hanging out as a youth team every single week um on a wednesday night and on a um, and on a Friday night and on a Saturday night. And um, that was really helpful when we came out of COVID. Uh, it was a really interesting reflection um, on the service teams at, at church. Uh, and there was this big moment of, oh, cool. How are we going to kickstart? And everyone came together and met and no one had seen each other and, and talked about their ministries in months. And probably six months at that point, mm. no one had talked about their ministries together. And the youth team got together and we had been talking about our ministry every week, multiple times a week for mm. six months. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the two bits of 
And that that did not feel like a time period of institutionalized youth group. That was a whole bunch of different ideas every week. And it was really fun grassroots kind of experience because we were trying to go, we're in this new space. How do we not just adapt our, our, our preconceived idea onto this, but how do we make it make a thing happen um what was the response to that doing it in in a different way from the teenagers they loved it Mm. um i had some really really helpful feedback um was uh most seen by when we got out of covid uh the fact that a whole bunch of a whole bunch of teenagers were not keen to go back because that was, it was not ideal. Like it was fun and it was, and we, and uh, by all intents and purposes, humbly, we did a good job, but um, it was, it was no substitute really mm-hmm. for in-person ministry and in-person hanging out. Um, but in saying that everyone came out of it optimistic and everyone came out of it excited and everyone came out of it um with fun memories and we still talk about stuff that we did online um like watching some of our youth leaders uh, eat a century egg um which is possibly google it. it's the most disgusting thing you could possibly eat and um like stuff like that is was just really entertaining um and really great little cultural moments uh, that we could have created together. memories was, yeah we yeah. created memories and yeah that was really lovely that decision to just even use discord rather mm. than zoom is that because you think that younger crew were like a zoom that's what my mum and dad are using for work it was also what they were using for school that was most of it oh, actually it was yeah. they're on zoom every single day for six hours a day mm. and we're like why do we want to at the end of their friday put more like, on as it. if they would want to go back to yeah, zoom yeah. like we didn't want to go back to zoom because we were at work mm. on zoom mm. and it's like well, we don't want to do that and so we were like how could we still hang out together but at least it looks like we're in a different space. Mm. And Discord was that. That was cool. So what's interesting about that story for me is there's two shifts within a very short amount of time. So first of all, the way that they were doing youth ministry wasn't working because they weren't allowed to meet together anymore. So there was actually a practical barrier to that because of a big change in the culture, which was, in this case, COVID coming through. Uh, But then even in the second lockdown, the second lockdown... You're saying, because in Sydney we had two lockdowns with a bit of a break in the middle, but the second lockdown, the things you were trying in the first lockdown no longer worked in the second lockdown. Mm. So instead of just persevering with Zoom, you were creative and came up with a new mm. idea, which was Discord. And, you know, that, that may or may not make a lot of sense to all our viewers and listeners, but the principle is there that when you're got something that sometimes we just do things because we've always done them mm. but we don't always stop to review what we're doing and ask is this still achieving the same goals that we had in place to originally to do it um, sometimes churches can go on for hundreds of years doing things because they've always done it that way but they're not actually achieving the same goals another dramatic example from the past is the um, salvation army when they first began they had a very vibrant ministry playing pub music with christian lyrics and marching down the streets in london and walking into pubs playing pub music and then calling on people to think about jesus now that would be the equivalent of playing whatever's you know you know the latest pop music now in a way that was really engaging and surprising to everybody Mm. Uh, using brass instruments was the latest thing Mm. so they were using the latest instruments that was you know because people in churches were playing hymns on organs and all of a sudden these salvation army people have got 
trombones and, you know, that this is like the pop music of their day. But the interesting thing is that um, after that original inception of that idea, it got institutionalised and after General Booth, who came up with the idea, passed away, they kept playing brass band music uh, right up until today. Mm. I think Salvation Army bands still play that kind of music. Now, that's not a bad thing to do, and it's great, but it actually doesn't do what the original idea intended it to do, which is draw a lot of people along to have listened to the gospel. Somebody would give a sermon, people would become Christians. Um, so I think what we can do in our ministries is we can just keep doing the same thing because we've always done it. And it's not going to necessarily have a different outcome if you just keep doing the same thing. So the question is, how do you identify that you're in a plateau? Why are you in a plateau and what do you do? I think that's the questions that come to my mind. And so um, there's lots of reasons for plateauing. Ethan shared one reason. Another one is demographic change. Sometimes just, you know, your church is set up. Um, you know, the churches in St George area in Sydney were, were established post-war in the new burgeoning suburbs of St George. And there's massive churches in some of the suburbs in St George that were built and set up and some of them have have room for a Sunday school of up to a thousand kids mm. but now some of those churches are actually closed and empty because a lot of the migrants that came in in the 70s and 80s came from Catholic backgrounds and they don't go to Anglican churches and so the church didn't identify that change and didn't move with it and as a result that plateau led to decline for uh, for churches. So demographics is another one. Can you guys think of any other reasons why ministries plateau? I think um, generational change is really interesting. Yeah, and cultural, um, cultural, cultural, cultural change yeah, and yeah, cultural relevance. Yeah, I, think, I think that's a good point. Um, I don't know what it used to be, but as technology is continuing to to change faster and faster and faster, mm. and culture is changing. I think culture is changing faster and faster yeah, and faster. Good point. Um, and so it is harder and harder and harder uh, just to, <laughs> to keep up. To keep up. Um, yeah. So if you keep doing the same expressions, it's not going to, if everything's changing well, around you, it's not going to work, right? Well, like plateau or go backwards faster. Yeah. You know? Possibly, yeah. Uh, sorry, I thought you were going to keep going. <laughs> no, that was that was that was my. That was my point. Well, the only thing I was thinking of is there's a um, there's an author called Clayton Christensen who is um, he writes about business and he's got a book called The Innovator's Dilemma and mm. he talks about a very similar thing. Of mm. I think Clayton's actually a Christian, by the way, um, mm. but he talks about how businesses become gigantic but then fail because they don't move with the times and it's usually because of technological change. So it's quite similar, but I think similar to center, isn't it? Yeah, that exactly. Yeah, same, yeah, yeah, saying exactly the same thing. Um, the thing that I kind of thought about was also how we did church as well. Like it wasn't just the youth; we were doing youth differently, but we also did in the second lockdown differently from the first time we did yeah. it as well. Mm. And that was a lot to do with your ideas as well, Ethan. But the the way that we saw that just meeting, just like we were originally, we originally basically did the first lockdown was a youth, uh, sorry, a normal church service that would have, but we live streamed it, didn't we? And the, and you were very pivotal in that. But then when we came into the second lockdown, we were people like, weren't tuning in the same, were they? Yeah, they weren't tuning. In, so we got to we got to shake this up. We got to freshen it up. And we we talked about week away last last week, Stu. Mm. That it was week away that ended up being called off because of COVID. Yeah. That made us really change how we wanted to do it. And we made week away in a kind of podcast format. And we're like maybe we should try doing church this way. And we still had still had all the elements of a church service, but in a different format and a different delivery yeah. and so there could be a little bit more 
attuned to how people were consuming church at that at that time. So that, that was the only thing that I thought about too, is that taking an, an, an institutionalised idea, perhaps an, an idea that we had been doing for a long time, originally we started, as a, oh, why don't we just put that online? Yeah. But then we switched it to, no, we need to make the format in the way that people understand institutionalised church, but the way they see it is different. Yeah, I think, and I think as we go through the season, we'll find lots of different other reasons why why ministries can plateau. But the result of plateauing can be just an inward lookingness and a sedentary nature to church. Just church stops being dynamic and on the move, and it's become sedentary. We just keep doing the same thing over and over. And um, uh, Philip Jensen actually. Uh, has a bit of a diagnostic about whether a church is in growing or plateauing or declining. Mm. And Philip Jensen came up with an idea that I think other people have used as well called the Uluru model. Mm. And so if our listeners and viewers are wondering, you know, how do you know if you're plateauing, Philip Jensen came up with this model that if you take the, say for a local church, you take the giving for the local church and you add that figure to the attendances, that then you plot that out on a graph. If they're going up, that's increase. But if those two figures combined together are not changing, that's a plateau. And if it's in decline, then that's in decline. And so what he argues is if a church goes into plateau and doesn't do anything new, it will go into decline. So it'd be interesting if any of our viewers and listeners got any thoughts on that because... Um, you can be in a church for quite a few years, even even a couple of decades as a plateau, but it's not going to move out of plateau until there's a change. Mm-hmm. And building momentum is what we're going to talk about this series to help us not only when we're plateaued, but also what do we do if we are in decline? And interestingly, we can't just assume if we are increasing that we should just think that's always going to happen. Mm-hmm. We have to keep reinventing ourselves before the plateau before, to keep... Uh, growth going so I think it's going to be fun to unpack some of those realities during the season I was just going to ask you to that how, how do we try and prevent institutionalization is it because uh, we're not uh, receptive to new ideas or it's hard to get new and fresh ideas going yeah well I, I think one of the one of the things that I'm experimenting with and still not sure if it works, but I, I wonder if we can institutionalise relationships rather than institutionalise ideas. That if a group of people are committed to being the people of God together and keep following Jesus, I mean, the idea of following Jesus is, you know, Jesus in John 14 says uh, he, that he's going to his father's house to prepare a place for us, that, you know, that sh- sure and certain hope is there. And that... Um, he calls on us to follow him as as we live our lives. Well, when you are following someone, you're moving and you're moving, you're going through periods of change. But I think sometimes church can just feel like a stable place that you come and do the same thing mm-hmm. over and over again. So I don't know if it answers your question, but I think if you think about the relationship you have with Jesus as he's reconciled us to himself by dying on the cross and rising to new life, we are children of God as a result adopted into his family and as children of God we express our faith in local ministries and those local ministries are groups of people who are following Jesus together Mm. I think maybe the relationships being um, such that we can continue to have conversation about 
following Jesus? What does it look like? How does how does it look like to follow Jesus as a as a child or as a teenager or as a young adult or as a retiree or someone who's lost lost a a, a close loved one? What does that look like? And having that conversation together, then I think it helps us to see that life is always changing. And so our expressions of church can actually be something we can talk about together so that we might come up with new expressions that might be, um, I suppose, uh, expressions that would help people in a certain period of time understand the gospel message. So if we um, are institutionalising relationships, sorry, Ethan, if we are institutionalising relationships, that means we can talk about things that are changing and then we're able to discuss them rather than dismiss them because yeah. because we are like we're basing ourselves on the fact that Jesus has reconciled us to yeah. each other as well yeah, that's right. that we can talk about these ideas in a way that actually allows us to move forward and allow those um, ideas to come into more of a yeah, be more receptive to the ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah I okay. think so. What were you going to say? I was just going to say I think uh, all of that is really interesting and uh, it is really interesting that in the examples that you asked me to share about the COVID stuff uh, some of the times we felt <laughs> least like we were just doing the same old thing every day <laughs> was because we were meeting all the time and because we were chatting all the time and because we were in relationship with one another and being friends and, right. and talking about our ministry. And uh, I think that uh, it's really easy to fall into the trap, like you were saying, of we rock up every Saturday or Sunday or, or Friday and we do the thing we need to do and then we go home and go back to thinking about the rest of our lives. Uh, and it's really easy to make uh, our, our Christian relationships, uh, our, our faith, um, but also just church ministry, uh, just the thing we do on the weekend once a week uh, and therefore something that is not thought about. And I think this stuff, like momentum grows when you're actually thinking about it and you're actually trying to to make to make the change. Um, and, it, and it doesn't work when there's just one person off thinking about it. Um, and that's assuming that there's even one person off thinking about it. Uh, I, I understand that um, when you when, when a pastor is paid, they are the per- person who is paid to to think about the ministry. I get that that's a that's a perspective that that people have, and um, but it doesn't work if that's how it's supposed. Like if that's what's put forward, if it's just that's not right, going to build momentum. Yeah, it's like we've paid you to build our ministry, and it's like cool. Well, I can do it, but I can't do it alone, <laughs> and I can't be the one just to think of new ideas all the time because I can think of all the ideas in the world but if I don't have a team of people with me wanting like investing in those ideas and being a part of it and um, and then trying to to make change or to respond to culture um, and also I'm just one person right so I can't um, I can't make all the do all the responding to culture especially since it's moving as quick as it is mm. uh, and so then you get this really cool um, yeah like I think I think friendship in ministry that relationship in ministry is so important uh, because it enables all of that stuff we've been talking about mm-hmm. to actually happen. I just want to, and I just want to butt in and say that mm-hmm. um, that the COVID experience was a really good example of that, of um, us as a ministry team being the only ones to have been thinking about our ministry for the last six months mm-hmm. constantly. Yep. Um, and now that we're all now that we're back in person, we're actually back to not thinking about our ministry as much because mm-hmm. we're not meeting as regularly. Uh, we're meeting on Friday nights and Saturday nights, but Friday nights we're there to do the ministry, and Saturday nights we're there to hang out as a friendship group. But, mm. um, but yeah, but having that regular 
meeting time of just let's hang out mm. and chat about what we're doing on the weekend mm. um, and what we're doing on Friday and how how youth's going and how the how the people we're looking after are going. Um, all those all those things I think are really important to. And what you're talking about there is I, th- I feel like. Um, perhaps a reflection of some of the things that we've talked about in some yeah. quite a few instances churches have become almost like a consumeristic event mm. that we only turn up for one hour we only turn up for the the service and then that's it and then we think about the rest of our lives mm. and i feel like we've talked about this before Stu, that it, that's probably um, in all likelihood because of the homogeneous unit principle model of, of expressions of church that, that it, it has led to that kind of thing i'm just wondering what's like some some small steps for maybe some church leaders or other people that are interested in what we're talking about to um, start kind of changing the mindset around that. Mm. Um, it might not you might not see big changes. It's the, maybe the beginning of building some momentum back into the ministry. What do you think would be some small steps to start doing that? Yeah, no, I'm excited to look at this from lots of different angles during mm. the season. But a couple of things that occur to me is first of all, tradition is not bad. There are good traditions that we carry forward with us. So we're not talking mm-hmm. today about getting rid of everything that's old and replacing it with new things. Mm. So there needs to be some kind of framework for how do you decide what are the good traditions to carry forward and what are the things that we might do differently in new culture. And uh, if our viewers would uh, draw a triangle in their mind uh, and imagine a triangle and at the top of the triangle is the Bible and on the left of the triangle is tradition and the bottom of the triangle is is uh, new expressions or new ways of doing things. Uh, the Bible is always going to be our way of discerning what are the traditions that are really helpful, mm. and the Bible is really going to be our guide to helping us to work out how do we adapt our expression that we always do it biblically. So that would also be a good framework that's really simple just to keep in mind throughout this season. Uh, another thing is that when we do want to change, sometimes it's hard to know what we need to change uh, or what. Uh, is is maybe worth trying that's new and so I like to use the phrase we always build a bridge to a new reality and that is don't change what you're already doing but start something new in a small way that you can experiment with and do do that experiment and if it works you can move over the bridge to that new thing but if it doesn't work you can move back to the thing you were doing so you didn't wreck it so you wouldn't take a church service on a Sunday morning and completely change it and then it didn't work and you've lost 20 people and nobody really liked it. And then you think, oh, that wasn't a really good expression. But if you started an experimental service on a Sunday afternoon just to try some new things and got 20 or 30 people together that were, or five or 10 people together that were keen to try something new, you can experiment it that way. The other thing I'd say is that iterative approach to mm. change is really good. Yeah. <laughs> so change in small increments, don't just have a massive change. Uh, so some people have been asking us on the podcast, how do you do dinner? That's a good iterative uh, uh, change. You can add a, a, a lunch or a breakfast or a dinner to a service fairly easily and try it for a term. And then if it doesn't work, you try and work out why it didn't work. And then you can try and fix those elements to it. Uh, we often talk about SpaceX, how they love blowing rockets up, as long as they don't hurt people. <laughs> but but they, try, they try to do this new thing, which is not only to send a rocket up, which is the easy part, but actually to land it, bring it back down again. And they blew up heaps of rockets because sometimes they didn't have enough engines or they turned the engines too high or they turned the engines too low. And, but they finally worked out how to land it over an iterative design approach. So I think that's something we'll talk about over the season as well. Uh, Having 
good formal and informal conversations are good too in the church. Sometimes it's good to get the congregation together and do a SWOT analysis. What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What are our opportunities? What are our threats? That's a bit of an old-fashioned model now, but something like that's a really good thing to have a conversation with, with a group. Another good thing is to remember that sometimes culture causes conflict. So people who don't want to change, who tend to be a bit older, can be a bit put out if the music changes or if the service style changes. And younger people could be a bit put out if the service doesn't change. And so I think the the exciting challenge for us as Christians is how do we bring young and old together in the shock absorber so that rather than there being conflict over change, there's actually collaboration. And I think that's going to be a big theme for us moving forward as well. Um, there's always good insight into networking. I think that's the other part that I think we need to look into as the culture changes. Uh, it's really good to express our faith in local ministries, but I think those local ministries benefit when they can also network with other local ministries and find out what people are doing in other contexts. Sometimes if you don't know anyone else, you can read a book or watch a podcast or listen to a podcast or uh, people can always contact us and say, why, why do you do that or why don't you do that? You know, you can cherry pick ideas from other people's things that can be useful as well. So there's just a few little grab bag of few ideas and there'll be more as we go this season. But there, there's some things to get people thinking about that. Yeah, that's, I think that sets the stage really well for the, for the rest of the season. Was there anything else that you would like to add to that, Ethan, before we wrap it up? No. I am, <laughs> uh, it is, it's, it's been really cool to, uh, to be on the podcast. Um, yes, thank you for coming on. It is, it's, it's very fun to chat about all this stuff. I, um, I really enjoy it and I do a lot of thinking about it. And I am not as, despite my lot of thinking about it, I'm not as well thought out as uh, as you guys and I'm not as well read. Um, however, it's really cool to uh, be a part of all this um, as a church, um, as for example, the... The, the service, you, you, you mentioned the idea of having a service that yeah, is a little bit better at being more flexible. Uh, and I'm a part of uh, the Friday ga- gathering here at Soul Revival and uh, we have been very flexible um, <laughs> in everything we do. And it's very fun. And um, we are able to, we, we've seen many iterations of the Friday gathering and uh, sometimes too many iterations in, mm. in, in too short a time. That's a good point, and isn't it? You can sometimes experiment too much. Yeah, like you, definitely too can, you definitely can experiment too much. Well, yeah. momentum doesn't build if you if you try something and it doesn't work after two weeks and so you give up and do something different. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. like it, it doesn't... Um, You've got you to persevere to, as well with stuff even if it doesn't work. Which that's is why that point. term at a time thing's really helpful because mm. it's like, why don't, you, why don't you try something for this amount of time and if it doesn't work by the end of it, mm. then you have the yeah, that's um, a good idea. Then you can then you can figure it out. For example, we um, a little while ago we our youth groups grew to a certain size and we butted them into uh, Alpha and Omega Year Seven and Eight, uh, Alpha Year Seven and Eight, and Omega Nine and Ten. And um, for the first year, that didn't work because the groups that got split up really hated that they weren't with the older ones in year eight didn't want, wanted to be the ones with the year nine and the year mm. nines wanted to be with the year eights. The year tens were stoked and the year sevens didn't care. <laughs> um, but literally the next year uh, we had this, um, this moment of, oh, everyone's, this is actually just normal and everyone's really keen um, to do that. And, and it didn't end up working uh, in the long term because um, some stuff got in the way like COVID and, um, and size numbers and stuff. But it was really interesting to... Um, to see that that was an example of an idea not working straight away. 
Yeah, it's a good idea. So sometimes persevering with things is good. And, and you know, the whole thing, you know, soaked in prayer, um, yeah. that we just continue to seek to follow Christ mm. and to continue to put in place the principles that um, we have in the Bible. It's, it's wonderful to be thinking biblically about change all the time too. And as we think about why something's not working, I mean, just to finish with, sometimes it just doesn't work for a whole generation because we have to hold to a um, position that isn't popular in the mm. culture. And, you know, there are seasons of, you know, I love Psalm 1 that talks about, you know, being like a tree that's planted by the river and, you know, in season and out of season, the tree will bear fruit when it's the season to bear fruit and it won't when it's not, but it puts its roots down into the river and gains nourishment. And I think as a church, sometimes, uh, to use another metaphor, sometimes it seems like the tide goes out for the gospel and we just need to keep being Christian and we need to keep meeting together and praying and reading and uh, serving each other and holding to the truth of scripture and and wait for the tide to come back in too so it's not all about us manufacturing momentum it's also sometimes us just humbly doing everything we can humanly possible as we partner with jesus as yeah. he grows his church yeah seeking god's will to help yeah you know, to the best way to hopefully build momentum for yep. him yeah I have just one more thought off that. Uh, I was in a conversation yesterday uh, and I wrote it down because it was such a cool little interaction that I watched happen. Uh, this lady asked this um, this lovely older man, he's probably in his in his 60s, uh, and they were having this conversation and uh, no, it's not old, older than me. <laughs> um, and she said, uh, "Is your how, how's your church going? Is it going well? Uh, and his response was, yes, it's going well. It's preaching the gospel. As long as it's preaching the gospel, it's doing well. As soon as it stops doing that, we're leaving. <laughs> that's a great place Isn't to finish. It, yeah. yeah, that's I, really I just thought that was a really it really cool. wraps up with Huckleberry Finn as well. <laughs> it does. It yeah. does. Yeah, no, that's cool, man. Well, thank you very much for being on, both of you. It's very an exciting podcast, and like I said, sets the stage for our new season called Momentum in Ministry. Um, hopefully, that has been interesting whether you're listening or watching us on youtube um, you can get in contact with us at any time if you email me at joel at shockersorba.com.au you can also jump on our discord server when the link is in the show notes if you want to ask any questions on that and we will respond uh we're trying to build up our discord server no one's really getting excited about it yet but we're going to it's going <laughs> to happen we need to build momentum, we in need discord momentum. maybe we need to do something different <laughs> oh fresh ideas fresh ideas we'll do it on <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway uh, also as always thanks to our producer dave who was a legend behind the scenes and mm -hmm. um we like to always finish the episode with a one way so let's do that one way one, one way, way. <laughs>